Welcome to the main course. I'm Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. Today we're going to put the focus on restaurant design and all of the elements and all the things that are going on in the area of restaurant design. As you can imagine, you know, the pandemic has really kind of put a focus on restaurants and how they're designed with uh, you know, curbside pick, curbside pickup and delivery and how those different elements kind of have been folded into design. Um, and with me today is Ray Chung, who is the director of design at Cooper Carey's The Johnson Studio. So welcome, Ray. Um, you know, first, tell me a little bit about your background um, and what your role kind of entails. Sure. No, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I am trained as an architect and I found myself in the world of interior design. So I have a, a foot in both worlds. Um, I started with museums, universities, theaters, um, and ended up in New York City uh, doing hotels and restaurants. Uh, I didn't know I would like it, but I ended up loving it. been doing it for over 20 years now in the city. Um, and uh, currently at the Johnson Studio, leading the New York Studio. Um, we have a headquarters in, in Atlanta with a, a bit larger down there. Um, the company's been around just over 30 years. And a very, very strong focus on F&B. So we, we do restaurants. That's kind of our thing. Um, we dabble in other parts of hospitality, but really we do the architecture, the interior design, and the lighting design uh, for F&B. So what's the process like when you know, you first either meet with a client and, um, you know, and you discuss a project with them? You know, how, how does that all work? Uh, well, the, the main thing is that uh, in hospitality, it's, it's such a people-based industry, and that's what I love about it. Um, so we try to get to know them as people and get to know their business. I think uh, some of the most interesting and some of the most gracious people work in hospitality because that's, that's the job. Um, and I love it. So we get to know them. We get to understand their guests, um, what they're trying to do, where they're going, and then really try to become their partner. So we listen to their vision and then try to make it real because that's that's what we're good at. And having done it for so long, we, we bring our own expertise and creativity to it. Um, so as partners, we basically put it to paper and then uh, work with them continuously all the way to opening day um, and a few days after that even to make sure it's what they want. Do you ask them about what problems they want to solve um, and what what they would hope to achieve in a new design? Does it kind of work from from those kind of starting points? Oh, absolutely. Um, often there'll be lessons learned from a current restaurant that they're running or um, they are trying to achieve something that they haven't done yet. And and we really try to get to know the business. We, we understand, we've seen many kinds of operations and, and we understand a lot of brands and and we bring that uh, kind of understanding to what they're doing and then uh, figure out where the pain points are and where the opportunities are. Sometimes the site itself will have an opportunity that's um, sort of the shape of the building or anything like that. And so we work together and try to um, make the most of what they have. So how important is the element of storytelling, um, you know, kind of as a guiding design pr principle for restaurant projects? I, I think it's, I think it's a uh, fundamental and, and the definition of storytelling is it, it can change. I think because you, you know, this is a space, this isn't a narrative necessarily, but you can use narrative um, to design. One, one thing that I've always tried to do is to consider uh, 
the the restaurant is a stage it's like theater now i'm not the first person to think of this by any means but it's it's a good way to think about things it's a it's a sort of a the scene where people are the actors the guests are the actors on the stage and and you need to give them a theatrical experience um, so the more of a story you can create about why that space is the way it is the more of an internal logic you can give it and that helps it feel personal gives it a personality it makes it feel authentic in a, in a certain kind of way um, so we we write these narratives that maybe you'll never see but we'll write these narratives about why a restaurant might feel like a spice market and then everything that goes along with it but it's been interpreted so once you're there it's not like you just landed in morocco but it'll have an internal logic that you can feel and, and, and relate to so it's kind of like taking that narrative which may actually be in words and and on paper but making it the aesthetic and and a feel of when somebody walks in there that you know nobody has to over explain it to them and say you know this is a you know this is we we did this as a spice market in in Morocco and that you know that they can kind of just get the essence of of what people were going for yeah i think the trick is you definitely don't want to have to spell it out because then it becomes a theme a themed restaurant um you know, maybe Hard Rock, Disney, Planet Hollywood, they're, they're very specific themes that you can spell out. And we don't want that. Our clients don't want that necessarily. So uh, yeah, the trick is to have an internal idea, write it out just so we understand as a team what we're doing and then execute it visually. So that's like a, a tough balance to kind of make sure you're executing all of those things without you know, going too much um, and kind of being heavy handed with that, as you said, making kind of thematic. Um, so that leads me into, you know, what, you know, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, when you go to restaurants, you know, what are those things that kind of stick out when you're, when you're sitting down and, you know, cause it becomes a different language when you work in an industry than it is to other people. So when you're sitting in a restaurant and you see something, you go, yeah, that just, that's not right. It shouldn't be that way that, that, you know, it's not working for how, uh, how they're using the space and, you know, do those things kind of irk you when, when you're dining out? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a pain to eat out with. <laughs> it's always touching things and uh, staring at spaces. But yeah, the, I think, you know, the, the hardest part for um, design is the parts that you can't see on paper. And, and there's, there's this invisible world. You may draw the per most perfect detail, but there are things like sound and light that aren't that don't appear in drawing. You have to understand what, what it is you're doing. And so I think those are the two biggest mistakes I find is bad acoustics that just I can't I can't eat well when there are bad acoustics in a room and uh, bad lighting. I feel like, um, like I said, I see restaurants as a theater. And if the actors are lit poorly, it just throws everything off. So I think too many hard surfaces uh, create this crazy echo and things get really loud all of a sudden. And it just, I mean, it's proven it's, it's a, it's a physiological response. You, you can't taste very well. And so I don't know if you know this, but at bars, you can turn up the volume and serve bad food and people don't notice because your taste buds actually don't work very well when the decibel level is high. Um, and then um, with lighting, there's just so many kind of amateurish mistakes people make with lighting not understanding uh, you're lighting a face. You're not lighting the room, ideally. So putting lights in the ceiling, you get that, you know, unflattering light down your face. When you can put a 
lamp on the table and light it up from below and it just looks so much better so simple things like that you know then there's like hard chairs and bad airlocks you know all those things bother me too (laughs) so you know when you're working in a space are you physically there and you know uh working on these lighting elements um, and working on the sound, you know, before open to kind of fine tune all of these things so that they're at those right points. Yes. Uh, lighting, we can, we, we, you know, if it's our project, we, we've kind of worked out the design along the way. Lighting, you can adjust. Uh, you, we, that's like, you have to be there at the last minute and dim everything to the levels you need. Acoustics are different. There's very little you can do at the end of a project to fix the acoustics besides putting up large foam panels. Um, so that you have to anticipate, but yeah, we are there. We always put in the week right before opening to do the lighting, make sure it's exactly what you want, set the programs on that. Um, music program that's usually done by the operator, but you know, we've put the speakers in and we help them figure that out too. So what would you say are all of these elements and things that um, go into creating uh, a really good re- restaurant ambiance, you know, and I think we've, we've been talking about it, um, you know, but, um, you know, what really goes into making it so that the guest is really getting uh, that great experience that they take away and they may not eat, you know, it's like, they'll notice the bad part. If the lighting is bad, if they can't hear somebody and the sound is bad, it reflects in it. But if they if these things are just done seamlessly, it adds to the to the experience. So, you know, how, how do you do that? How do you create that? Uh, there's it's an art. It's definitely an art. Um, and I think each different restaurant concept has a different goal. Right. We do everything from like a barbecue shack. We literally have done a barbecue shack and that's meant to look a certain way. It can't be too nice. And then we've done five star dining, which is a whole different thing and everything in between, I think. Um, but the common thread through all of that are principles like understanding to you need to create focal points and drama so that might be an open kitchen or the you know the the fire is visible uh so you control sights and smells um and another thing we really focus on is make sure there's enough detail in the work i feel like there's um it's kind of what i call always something more there should be a depth to the design that leaves you uh believing that there's always something more around the corner under the table there's just more it's just rich 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 and if you can walk into a room and say got it it's all plastic and then the room disappears because your brain has decided it understands the whole space when there's if you walk into a person's house you don't know what's in the drawer you don't know what's going on there behind the curtain and all of that creates this like kind of psychological richness um mystery that i think lets you feel more engaged with the room. Um, then lighting, lighting is like we've talked about is, is really super important, especially in restaurants, I think, um, creating points of focus, uh, creating drama, up lighting does a lot to create a certain mood, uh, keeping it warm at 2,700 K or even lower. I think, um, when we had incandescent lights, that was really easy to pull off, but now it's uh, you got to find that right fixture that can do it, um, and there's there's so much science behind that too. That uh, like the way red in particular is rendered, red is in our skin and red is in food. So you need a light that can actually bring that out, um, and we we look into those those lamps very carefully. Um, and then the last part I think is uh, the acoustics. 
there's a there's a specific kind of reverb time that's just right um and it's not too much and not too little if it's too dead you got this kind of library effect and you don't you don't want to eat in a place like that generally <laughs> like it's too loud some people love it but i think there's a point where it just spirals out of control and i think we've all been in those food halls are especially guilty of that um and it's just not enjoyable you know when you when you're working with people are you looking at the menu and you're looking that, oh, well, it's a menu that, you know, there's a lot of beef, so there's going to be red uh, or, you know, or beets or something. You know, do you, you do you focus the lighting on the people and, and the food or just the people? Um, well, food is food. I think we do look at the menu because that will affect the equipment. and It'll affect kind of the show that goes on in the kitchen. Um, like a vegan restaurant would be very different, obviously, from a steak restaurant. Um, so we look at that. But. Yeah, we also designed to make sure that the concept can change and it doesn't, you know, it's not so extremely tailored to one particular menu. We know menus change season to season or uh, an operator may just decide to change the concept. Um, and there, there, there are things that always work. I think, you know, if we get the right warm light, that will always work. Um, but yeah, we do we do think about every everything that the restaurateur is thinking about. We think about uh, because it's important to them. It's important to us. What about smell and how everything you know? You, do you want to smell everything that's in the kitchen? Some people don't like that. Um, you know, uh, how do you incorporate that into into what you do? Yeah, smell is so, so important. I think um, it's the open kitchen is really kind of where you, obviously it's just. That's where it all comes from. And, and we make sure there's a variety of seating. So the people who like it can be seated there. The people who want to get away from it can might be at the wall um, in a little booth or something like that. Um, but yeah, we um, there's not much we can do as architects and designers to control the smell. Uh, but we, we definitely think about it. I think about it all the time. Um, when, a, when a waiter has too much cologne on, it really just spoils the mood for me. <laughs> yeah. I think there are, there are chefs who, who fire people for um, for putting perfume and cologne on. <laughs> well, I, it's understandable. I mean, it adds, you know, it's taking away from the guest experience. And, you know, it's the same thing as, as smoking when, it you know, that kind of translates to people's clothing that, you know, it could definitely, uh, you know, not appeal to the, you know, to what you're eating, you know, it takes away from all that. Um, you know, when you're working with restaurateurs, do they, do they, you know, understand all of these elements and everything that you're doing, um, you know, like how much handholding do you have to do and, and working with them? Um, you know, cause they, they still want to focus on the food and, and all of that and giving the good experience. But, um, you know, do they, is it, is it a lot of handholding you explaining to them, you know, we want to put these elements in and this is why, or they kind of uh, understand it and, and, and kind of say, okay, you know, you, you do what you do because you're an expert and I'll do what I do. It, it, it really varies uh, depending on the experience of the client. So uh, we have the good fortune of working with a lot of repeat clients, a lot of people who've been doing this as long as we've been doing it. And they know, they know it all. And sometimes they'll tell us what to do because they know it so, so well. <laughs> but, uh, and we'll work with that. It's, uh, but then there are definitely, uh, uh, people the first time out or maybe like a very successful business that has never done a food concept and they're like we need to put a restaurant here and so then they'll say okay tell us what to do what and then, we, then they really look to us for expertise and we explain you know this is what you want here and and it all makes sense i think once you understand 
kind of the, the history and the science behind it all. Uh, so we, we take our time to explain that. Um, we do we do fight for principles that we think are important and, and try to make uh, make ourselves clear, even though it may seem like it might cost more. We can demonstrate maybe it doesn't. There are other ways to, to defray that. Um, but yeah, I think we work at kind of a, a level where um, our clients are seeking us out because they have the experience and they're trying to really go to the next level with their restaurants. And so we're lucky that way, I think. Um, they've, they've set out a budget for design and they want to spend it well. And so I, uh, yeah, I, it, it ranges. <laughs> So one of the areas of, of that falls within design um, over the past few years um, more so has been more immersive restaurant design, um, which I, you know, I think as you said, you know, could become like a thematic or a food hall where, you know, there are so many elements going on. So what kind of are like the do's and don'ts of an immersive restaurant design? So Bill Johnson founded our studio some, you know, in the late 80s, and he always said, uh, a good restaurant has three legs of the stool, the food, the service, and the design. And they really all need to be strong. And, and looking back, our restaurants that have lasted over 10 years, which is a very long time for a restaurant, uh, they've had three. They've had all three going strong. Um, and when you just focus on one, something something will be upsetting in there. Maybe the waiter's not great, and then you're just, oh, that kind of ruined my night, right? Or you're know, like you're staring at a light bulb. Like, why am I staring at a bright light like this? This is this is not right. Um, so I I feel like to get that perfect immersion, you need equal parts, food service and design. I think that's that's the main thing. Um, and then sweating the details on each of those. So in lighting. When you when you deliver the menu, is there a light that you, gives you enough light to read the menu? You know, like, like that kind of thing um, shows an attentiveness and a care for the guest that that just multiplies. The more times you do it, the better. If there's a little hook where you might put your purse, or uh, I, I went to a restaurant recently that had a little mini coat stand next to the table, which was great, <laughs> and, and you know, chairs that if you don't have the hook, if the chair has a rounded back, you can't hang. Person. That kind of thing. We think about all of those little things. Um, so I think that's on the design side. On the service side, obviously, Danny Meyer could go on and on. He's written books about what service means. Um, and so they all have a place. I think when you break the mood, and that goes into the, the don'ts, what you don't do, don't break the mood. I think um, maybe if you put a window to an alley or something, you're like, oh, that spoiled it. I didn't want to see that. <laughs> or like a bad view into the dishwashing area of the kitchen. Yeah, you just have to control all those little things. Um, I think getting carried away with music or AV, like TVs can really uh, throw off things. Uh, it all has to be in balance. So at the at the top, I had mentioned, you know, that design really um, has become more of a focal point for restaurants um, of all of all kinds of restaurants, you know, there's, there's a big emphasis on, on more drive-throughs and, and, and all of that in the, in the QSR environment, um, you know, but, and, and curbside pickup and, and third party delivery and having space for these things that make sense that don't, um, you know, hurt the, how the restaurant operates uh, normally. Um, so, it, you know, in what ways do you think, you know, the pandemic affected restaurant design? 
Uh, well, uh, I remember in 2020, we had a lot of time to think about that. <laughs> Everyone was just calling each other. So what are you seeing? Um, and talking to operators and food consultants and chefs. Uh, it was really surprising to me to find out that the delivery uh, model didn't really change the shape of the kitchen. Um, they're like, oh, we just threw a table out there. It was just enough, you know. Um, we thought we might be designing this new wing or something for the delivery, making of the bags and everything, but um, they can't afford that space, first of all. And second, they've found ways to work. Um, sometimes we now put an extra pickup counter, another three feet of counter somewhere to hand over the bag or like a, a little queuing area for the delivery. Um, but that, that really didn't make a difference. Um, looking back, uh, New York, obviously, with the street sheds, that's an ongoing, like, historical fight now. Uh, <laughs> every square inch of space is money, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't have survived without that. Now, taking it away, you know, their new models are based on that revenue, so it's hard to take it away. And people love being outside. I've always wondered why, you know, I've been in New York for a long time, but I've always wondered why people want to sit on this crooked, dirty sidewalk and, like, this is fantastic. I love being outside. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, people love it. Uh, and um, I, that, that I think, is probably going to stick around now that restaurants realize they can. And, that, and the latest legislation I, or the city council is talking about how they'll get to do it some of the year um, and keep part of it. Um, in, inside, people were putting up plexiglass shields. Science proved that that did nothing. Um, I think that. So, so. Basically, in the end, we found that there's no change inside. The dining room is tighter than ever. Again, they're trying to make every every dollar they can by packing the people in there. Um, people want to be close together again. That was that was an interesting rebound that happened. Communal tables are back strong. Like let's let's all get together. Like the reason to go out now is to get together. Um, and uh, I think the main the main thing, which is an echo of like 2008 is that budgets were hit very hard and out of you know food service design design went first uh there and service even you know can't even get anyone to hire <laughs> but uh so so in 2008 there was like the birth of the um, raw wood bench and the industrial light and, and suddenly everything started looking like that <laughs> now we're seeing it stripped down again um but it's I think no one wants to do that again. That you know, once once the big chains started going for that look, like okay, we, we can't look like that. So th there are more creative ways I've seen people uh, dress up their restaurants with just murals or um, antiques. I think so it's it's interesting what's happening. Um, there's some so more sense of personality yeah. and authenticness. You know, being authentic. I, yeah, I think definitely that's. Everyone has, everyone I've worked with wants to make sure their place has personality. And and if that doesn't cost as much and you can do it another way, then they'll find a way to do it that way. Um, what about guests? Um, you know, during the pandemic, you know, guests, when they did visit a restaurant, if they were just picking something up, you know, they were hypersensitive to the cleanliness of a restaurant. Um, and they wanted to make sure that, you know, if, if they would love if they saw, you know, a, a, a spray bottle out and things were being taken care of right away. Um, you know, is does that still exist um, where they want everything to be to make sure that everything is super 
uh, super hygienic um, or are they kind of a little more flexible on that? Uh, from what I've seen as a as a guest and um, in design, I don't see it that much. I don't see uh, demand for that. I know it can be really off-putting to smell this chemical like evaporating in front of you while you're about to eat. Uh, and so if anything, people don't want that. Um, there's been a rush, I think we all know, uh, to say COVID is gone. I think uh, even before it really started, even people were saying that. And so this kind of, especially in restaurants where people, the people going to restaurants wanted to be at that restaurant. They wanted to go back to what, how it used to be. Um, and so I don't see that demand for um, kind of cleanliness. I think some people love the QR menu. Uh, that's that's fun. Um, you can zoom in. It's bright enough to read. <laughs> uh, you don't have to fight over having three menus and four guests. Um, uh, if you, but I have I have kids and one of them doesn't have a phone, so he's always like, "Can I see the menu?" <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, that, that's what I see. Right. Yeah. I mean, definitely the QR code was one of those things that just so quickly was, you know, a, a technology that people weren't using that found its moment that um, I remember early in the pandemic, there was a local coffee shop and they're using a QR code menu. And that's like when you know that it's a mom and pop type place and they found this out and figured out, it's like, you know that this is a big deal and, and that it was such a saving grace in a way for so many people. And yeah, they're still using it. I mean, I think sometimes I go out and I think there's a resentment, you know, like, oh, I have to take my phone out. I have to do this, you know. Um, but, you know, for them, you know, you you can, you, you don't have to print the menus. There, there are different issues that lets me into my, my next topic, which, you know, right, right before the pandemic, I think everybody was into sustainability on so many different levels. Um, you know, uh, people wanted the farm to table movement and people wanted to know, uh, you know, where everything they were eating came from. And even to down to the, uh, that the takeaway boxes, what they were, what they were made of and all of that. And then, you know, in the pandemic, it was like, what can we get? We just need this stuff and we'll put it together. Um, so now what are you seeing um, in terms of sustainability um, in, in restaurant design, um, you know, from owners, you know, where, where are we now and where do you think we're going to be? I think we, we have made our way back to where we left off. I think it was definitely like, you know, there was a ban on plastic bags right before the pandemic hit in the city. And then, oh, no, that's fine. You can just pass the bags. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to need those. Um, but, you know, Jersey just put his foot down and said, no, we've got to get rid of these containers. And um, so I, I, it's through the legislation that, you know, it's a slow moving thing and it was coming. Um, that has continued to move us uh, in the right direction, I think. So with that, and people are becoming more aware of greenwashing, uh, they're realizing that boxes as compostable is not compostable um, and that um, there are very, very real issues here. And I think as as we move along in time, the younger generation especially is, is coming in with a stronger voice saying they won't accept certain things. Um, restaurants, you know, I don't know how they survive really, honestly. <laughs> so they get whatever they can get, right? So if, if it's, these plastic forks are cheap, they'll get those um, or they'll you know, figure out ways, uh, some of the salad places like bring your own container or you, you can take this container and switch it. I think that would be great to see more of uh, if you're 
if people ever went to work again, <laughs> they got their five salads a week. Uh, but there, there are things happening. I think um, ESG programs in corporations are starting to become real with real teeth. And that's causing people to think uh, about everything they do. Um, people are eating plant-based uh, diets. They're thinking about it for health as well as environment. So all these things are, are a trend that I don't think um, we're going to stop. And, and it's definitely moving. And, and especially with legis legislation, getting rid of plastics um, is, is going to make a big difference. If I'm a restaurant owner today and I, you know, and I'm, I'm concerned about, you know, our carbon footprint in the restaurant. What are some things, are there any simple things that I can do, um, you know, right away to kind of make a difference? Uh, I think reducing food waste, uh, that, that works for everybody, right? Yeah, it's, it's just less of everything. Um, so figuring out ways to use every part or find ways to compost what you don't use. Um, and then the other very simple thing is to work on local sourcing. There's a large, this is, this was when I first started looking at this years ago about how restaurants can become sustainable. Uh, there was like, you can do this, you can do this. And then you zoom out and I don't know, 100 times bigger than that is the transportation of that food. It's, it's really about the trucks drive the things to your restaurant so you might you might put in a solar panel you might do this and that which is nice but <laughs> really it's it's the uh, livestock and I, I looked up livestock agriculture is 13 to 18 percent of global greenhouse emissions greenhouse gas emissions it's it's massive so even just switching to and this is not easy to do but making a meatless menu that make a huge difference right away um and then finding local local sources. Those, those are kind of the gigantic things you can do. Um, as a building, you can work on uh, certified sustainable materials. Everything gets labeled uh, if you're looking for it. Um, there's certi uh, certified forestry for wood and uh, different kinds of labeling systems for things that are low energy, low carbon or recycled. Um, and then one, one thing that I'm I'm trying to get clients to understand is that uh, all electric kitchens can make a huge, huge impact. Uh, induction cooking, which is very common in Europe, all the big chefs use it and sell their sell their own induction cooktops. <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of resistance uh, based on tradition and received wisdom about gas cooking. So with electric cooking and demand ventilation. Uh, smart hoods that recapture heat, endless dishwashers, all this equipment now that can use less energy, recapture heat, um, and and produce less. Like an induction cooktop wastes no heat. It's up to 90% efficient, whereas like a, a gas is like 30% efficient. So 70% of the heat that the gas burner is putting off is going into your kitchen. And then you're paying for air conditioning to pull it out. <laughs> so then your hood's running constantly. So all of this, like, you can see how it you can actually save money. And uh, I don't know if you've talked to Chris Galarza. Uh, he's like, to me, one of the best uh, spokespeople for induction cooking. He, he, he lays it all out. And he ran a kitchen at Chatham University that was uh, net zero. All the heat, I mean, it was like 70 degrees in the kitchen. It was just 
temperate. They were actually putting jackets on because it was too cold. <laughs> which, which you can imagine. I guess it, that must help a lot with the tempers in the kitchen exactly. too. The <laughs> they feel better. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, it's it's better for the people who work there. They don't get into fights. Uh, and and then the heat that get caught that gets caught in the hood goes down into a geothermal well and comes back and heats the campus. It's just this. There's so many things you can do, and and the return on the investment was something like three times faster than they expected. Right. So is it just a matter of, you know, explaining this, just like you explained it to me now and people saying, yeah, that does make sense. Um, you know, because, you know, sometimes you're stuck in your, this is how we've always done it. And this is what I know, particularly when it comes to cooking, you know, a, a chef is, is used to using the gas, you know, they, they, it, there's the flourish of it, you know? Um, so is it just a matter of kind of, you know, telling them about the logic of it and how and what they can do with it. And then it makes sense that kind of gets this seismic change. You know, you're talking about something that's going to, it's going to take years for them to really work through the industry and something like this. I, I wish, I wish you could just show them the data and, and it there it's, it's such a, like a deeply personal belief for some people. Um, and, and what I love about Chris, um, he, he was a chef. So when he talks about it, he talks about how you cook. He has a lot more authority than I do uh, when he's talking to other chefs about it works or it doesn't work because uh, he went in skeptical and now he's he's traveling the country. He was on Nova the other day explaining it. <laughs> um, it uh, there is uh, just so much. I mean, I, you see it, the, the gas industry is is fighting this. They don't want you to hear it. So there's a lot to fight against. Um, and I, I think finding case studies. Uh, pointing to Eric Repair, who's like, he's just constantly like, no, this is the only way to cook, obviously, you know, trying to get people they respect to show them that there is definitely a way to do this. And they've been doing it for 10, 20 years. Um, so it's just a lot, a lot of tradition to, to overcome. Right. There's a lot of cultural, it just has to, you know, wait, make its way. And, you know, this person, the more people that do, then the more people that will do. Yeah, hopefully. Yep. Yeah. You know, working on so many projects like that you've, that you've done, are there any that stand out to you um, for, you know, for different reasons that they were more challenging um, or, you know, that the, the end um, was just something that um, was different from what you thought it was going to be, um, you know, and, and that it kind of met all of those uh, design uh, elements, um, you know, in, in the presentation and, and then when the guests got there? Um, they're all special to me, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> they're uh, all your children. <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll, we'll design for six to eight months, then construction for 12 to 18 months. So you, you, you spend a good amount of time. What I love about it is faster than building you know, typical architecture. It's like you're with it for four or five years here. You get it, get it. You get to see what you did, um, and then eat there. <laughs> um, so yeah, they all kind of take turns, uh, twists and turns as they go. I think we did one uh, in the Catskills, the the Eldred Preserve, that was these three little fishing shacks, and they were just modest little huts, no insulation whatsoever. Um, and so the owner wanted to take them down and put in, uh, rebuild a place for the community. Uh, so this was really like, well, what is it going to be? But we didn't know for the longest time, like, well, it could be anything. It could be shaped like this. It could be like one level all the way across. It could be built into the hill. It could be two story, three story. Um, so working with, um, our, 
we're part of a, a a large architecture firm, Cooper Carey, and we're one studio within it. So the the building architects, the hospitality architects, worked on the buildings, and then we did the interiors. Um, and together we came up with um, this beautiful um, double height space that uh, is all glass facing uh, the ponds, and uh, you have this. It's like inside outside. Nature comes inside. Uh, all of that is uh, I. Didn't see it at the beginning of the project, but it, it sort of evolved, and it's it's a wonderful place. Uh, you, you really feel like you're outside, even though you're inside this building. Wow. So earlier you had mentioned, um, you know, the use of antiques or murals in design, but are you noticing any other kinds of design trends that kind of should be on people's radar? Um, I think it, there's definitely a lot of artwork being uh used now if, with very well i think um there are more consultants out there and uh i think independent voices are finding somehow i'm not sure how but they're finding their way to clients uh so mural installations are going a long way um and um like knickknacks and vintage things in, in, a, in an interesting way now they're um this like curated approach to like what exactly doodad thing am i going to put here and tell a little story for those who are looking carefully um so that's happening and then i was looking through some magazines the other day and i realized there's there is kind of an aesthetic trend that's happening understanding that things that you see in a magazine are designed two years or early right you know, there's that was from before, but what's being built now I see is um, there is more like tone on tone, uh, brown on brown uh, or mauve on mauve, these kind of unusual colors and then this, um, solid colors. Uh, that's kind of a, seems to be very popular right now. And um, circles, circles are back. Circles, half circles, pure circles, spheres, anything that's a, a perfect circular geometry is 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 where it's at. Um, I, I don't understand that one. <laughs> but, but it's, maybe it's is it more comforting than a triangle or a square? Well, I don't know. True. I it guess is, maybe it is. It's kind of the roundness. But, maybe but like it's you know, not. like pure cut. Yeah. And hmm. and that, sometimes I wonder if it's like because of computers. Uh, the computer wants to do these perfect abstract shapes. Uh, without detail. I studied ornament for years uh, in college, and there is a there is a deep history to how ornament works and why it's there. It's not decoration. It's it's it shows transitions and it expresses how materials meet. Uh, that there's a there's a in my head. I'm I'm thinking of this all the time. <laughs> so when I see like a a cut arch with no detail on it, I feel like that is a wasted opportunity. Like there's something you can do. You can express the architecture through the transitions in the corners. Um, so that's what, maybe that's why I see it. <laughs> um, so, you know, when, if we're having this conversation like five years from now, what, how, what do you think um, restaurants will be focusing on? You know, we're, we always hear a lot more about robotics um, and AI and all of these things that are integrated in. So how is that integrated into the design of a restaurant? Wow, that's a good question. Um, there's what I hope for, and there's what I fear. I think you've you've probably talked to people on this podcast about these things. Um, I I I think there's a, there's a heart to restaurant operating a restaurant, going to restaurants that you can never take away, and that's 
being served by people who want to serve you, uh, no matter how much automation is invented, those places will exist for people who want the, the, whatever, the cheapest possible meal. Um, but I feel like the, the ritual of going to a restaurant to be served and to commune with your friends and family uh, in a space with others, that will always be there. And, and maybe it will be, it'll transform into another shape. It'll be uh, more modest, you know, maybe it'll be more pop-ups. That's, that's happening a lot. Um, and, and what I fear is that uh, the separation between the high end and the low end will increase, leaving nothing in the middle. Um, that's what I really, really worry about. If there's only, uh, if, if the only people coming to hire us are those doing these five-star restaurants, outrageous budgets for the super rich, then I think I might just quit. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't do that. Um, but, um, and then on the low end, people who just can't, can't afford design uh, or hiring a designer, they'll design on their own. Um, and it's that middle ground, which is very big right now. And that's um, where most people eat. That's really, that's where you want to go if you, uh, Saturday night with your friends. Um, that's what we're trying to save and, and um, make sure that it's worth the dollars you're spending to go there. Thank you so much. This is great. Yeah, this is fun. Thanks for having me.